seated. Amen. 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 <clears throat> well, as you can tell, I have a little uh, raspy voice this morning. Um, I got it for our man meeting last week, uh, so it could be a little more manly for the man meeting. And so uh, after second service, that's kind of what happened. Um, I do have uh, throat lozenges and cough drops up here, just in case I start freaking out up here. I'll try to turn off my, my mic so you guys won't be going, how gross is that? <coughs> but I just hate not being here on a Sunday morning. And I just feel like a little baby like I did like a month ago when I had Gary teach for me because I had a little cough. And so, hey, I just want to clear something up because <coughs> Gary just made it sound so gnarly like that we're getting burglarized all the time. And, and again, I, I, I don't take nothing away from it. Uh, the cars that were broken into were unlocked, <laughs> and um, I know somebody, they broke into my house, at, at my house, at one of my tr trucks, and I remember telling a friend of mine who was a cop, they broke into my car, my truck, and he says, was it locked? I go, well, no. He goes, well, they didn't break in. I said, but they weren't welcome on my property, doggone it. They still broke into it. I, ha I have an old Land Cruiser out there. And somebody one time stole my catalytic converter from the, right in front right here. Jerks, right? Um, anyways, I'm going to get righteously angry right now. <clears throat> Let's not go there. But it did, it did remind me as we were talking about, you know, the concealed carry and stuff. It reminded me of an old lady who got pulled over one time. And uh, the officer com comes to her window. And she says, officer, before anything, I need to let you know I have a concealed weapon in my council. He goes, oh, okay, hey, thanks for letting me know, but I need your license and your insurance. She goes, okay, I'm going to open up my glove compartment, but there's another weapon in there, too. <laughs> and he's going, oh, okay. So she gets there, he goes, oh, and by the way, I have another gun underneath my seat. And the officer says, what are you so afraid of? She goes, absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like, I'm ready to go. <coughs> anyway, so again, man, we, uh, again, uh, we'll get into it in a little bit. A another friend of ours who does uh, carry a weapon, at one time he says, Zeke, they might get you, but they won't get anybody else. That's like, thank you, my brother. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Anyways, be that as it may, man, it is so good to have you guys here this morning. This morning, we will be finishing Matthew chapter 5. So if you can make your way there, most of you guys are already there. And once again, we will learn some simple, practical, and humble truths of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It, it, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I, I, I love the fact that the Sermon on the Mount has made us all feel, and I hope you do, I hope you feel that, that we're all in this together. No one is better than, than somebody else because he's kind of leveled the, the playing field. That those who have truly messed up in their lives um, and those who have just thought it, <laughs> but nobody knew about it, he says, I see it all, and it's all sin in my eyes. And so he kind of levels the playing field on all of us, and, and it's hard for any of us, really, to take the high moral ground when, when, again, God says, but I see 
you know, they, they, they may, may have done the outward actions, but I've seen your in, inward intentions, and it was just as bad. So if you are ready to be rubbed the wrong way once again this morning with the kingdom ethics that we've been going through in the Sermon on the Mount, the Word of God is more than ready to oblige you this morning. And please understand, again, man, I'm, I'm hoping, my prayer is that as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, you understand that all of this, all of this that we're going through, all of this that I'm sharing with you, and that you're reading on your own, all of this is for your good, our good, and for God's glory. All of it. And so, we are in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 33. We will f- read to the end of the chapter, and then we'll break it up into sections. Verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but perform your oath to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your own head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, Turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you. And from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you do not even the tax collectors do the same and if you greet your brethren only what do you do more than others do not even the tax collectors do so therefore you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect oh lord thank you so much for your word help me lord to do some justice this morning and help my brothers sisters to have ears to hear thank you in jesus name amen so as we go back we'll break it up into different sections from 33 to 37 from 38 to 42 and from 42 to the end of the chapter but he says as he has been saying you have heard it said you have heard that it was said to those of old And he continues, Jesus continues in his sermon 
in, 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 and I'm sure many who were following him might have felt overwhelmed at this moment as he continues to speak to them about what was said of old, but now I am telling you. And I'm sure they may have felt a bit overwhelmed, maybe like we have felt maybe a bit overwhelmed as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, being our fifth study in this sermon. I don't know when we're going to get done, but we will be done one day. It's a bit overwhelming when you start realizing that it's not just the outward actions that God uh, judges or condemns, but it's also the inward intentions that he says, I see that too. And you have no right to take a moral ground or to think that you're better than anybody else inside the church or outside the church. I see it all. And that could be a bit overwhelming because you probably thought you were a good guy. Oh, you're so noble. Right? No, you're not. We're all in the same boat. Just because someone has done a crime and is paying for it, Man, how many times have we done it in our hearts and in our minds? Just because somebody has committed adultery, and I'm not excusing those kinds of actions, don't get me wrong, but how many times have we done it in our hearts and we're just as guilty before God? Maybe not because before anybody else, because nobody can really see our heart. And you look like a, a nice man. You look like a really kind lady. It's like, you're wicked. We're all wicked. And so that could be a little overwhelming to know all that within us. But Jesus is touching on areas that he knew his followers were battling with. Because they had heard it said to those of old. They have heard it all their lives. They have heard that. And on top of that, you have the they, they've seen the scribes and the Pharisees come around in their own righteousness and put everybody else down because nobody can be as holy and as good as those people. And so can you imagine the common people who are now hearing Jesus and he's going, except your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And they're going, we are done in. But he's teaching them those guys are, are, are just as bad as everybody else. I don't care what they look like on the outside. I don't care what they tell you on the outside. And so he goes to the heart because these people made everybody else feel bad. And they were more of, they, they said, but they did not do. They said a lot, but they never did anything. And then they held themselves up as the paragons of virtue. They thought that they were fulfilling the law. They really did. But in reality, they were making a mockery of it. Especially when it came to this subject of swearing. <laughs> and by swearing... I don't mean cussing or cursing, however you say that. It's talking about the word swear means a vow or an oath. Now, a little caveat here. It doesn't mean you can go around swearing. 
curses. You shouldn't be doing that either. Anyways, just a little side note. But that's not what he says here when he says, you shall not swear falsely. The word or the phrase swear falsely is actually one word in the Greek. And even if you have a King James Bible with you, it's one word in the King James. It's forswear. And it means to commit perjury, falsehood. To commit a falsehood is what he's saying. And so basically what this law said is you shall not lie. You shall not bear false witness in that sense. But it was more like you shall not lie when you are making a vow or when you are taking an oath. Don't take an oath or don't take a vow if you're crossing your fingers. I don't know if people still do that. I do, but... No, I don't. It's like, no, really, I do. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, man. It's like, you can make all the promises, but if you have your fingers crossed and nobody sees it, you're okay. That's probably, fair. it probably came from Pharisees. I don't know. But anyway, be that as it may. He says, don't make... Uh, uh, one of these kinds of vows if you don't have the intentions of carrying on with this vow. Don't make that vow if you don't have the intention of actually doing it. It says, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform your oath to the Lord. Now, in giving your word to other people, most of the time, they would, or we would, <laughs> swear on something higher. I don't know if you guys have ever done that. You know, when you're telling somebody, and they're going, and going, no, really, I swear to God. It's like, whoa. Or they swear on their mother's grave. God, how could you do that? No. But again, you usually swear on something higher higher than you. Oftentimes, that it does involve, involve God or His dwelling place. And see, when people would say that, even in those days, and I, again, I, I don't know how He functions nowadays in that sense, but, be, but you shouldn't be swearing to God anyways. There's another little caveat. Don't, don't do that. But anyways, it, it, it would involve God, and God will hold you to that. If you make a vow before God, He holds you to it. He's, he, he, he doesn't break His vows, His promises. Leviticus, and I'm going to give you plenty of scripture today, so be writing them down if you want. Leviticus 19.12, He says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Numbers 30, verse 2. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. He shall do according that all, all of all that proceeds out of his mouth. Deuteronomy 23, 21, and 23. When you make a vow to 
the Lord your God. You shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you. And it would be sin to you. But if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be sin for you. That which has gone from your lips, you shall keep and perform. For you voluntarily vowed to the Lord, your God, that you have promised with your mouth. So he's saying, if you are going to do that, not if somebody makes you <laughs> like they did to Jesus, we're putting you under a vow, are you the Christ? He was going to speak the truth anyways. They just didn't like the truth. But if somebody says, say, swear to God, right. no. But Jesus says, I say to you in verse 30, 34, I say to you, do not swear at all. Do not swear at all. Jesus was encouraging his followers, his disciples, not to swear at anything or at all. Because once you have invoked a vow or a, an oath, you are now bound by it. You have bound yourself to it to fulfill it. And so no matter what it is, you have to come through with that. Because you have made this vow. Yeah, apparently, the scribes and the Pharisees had made swearing a common practice. But they routinely broke their promises. And, and, and so in that, they made it an art of sidestepping their vows. Saying, in essence, well, I really didn't swear to God. <laughs> but you swear to, to heaven. Or you swear to to Jerusalem, or you swear to this and that. He said, yeah, but it wasn't to God. And so they started making it, or sidestepping it. <coughs> they made an art of this, because they ended up swearing to something lesser. And that's what they were teaching them. Nobody had required them to make an oath or a vow. And nobody requires you to make that vow or that oath. But if they did, or if we do, then we are to follow through with it. Even though it's not a requirement, because if, he says, a, uh, it, it's, it's not a sin if you abstain from making a vow. He says, don't sin by heaven, don't sin by earth, don't sin by Jerusalem. Don't even swear by your own head. You know why? Because none of those belong to us. Not even your own head belongs to you. He said, you can't even make one white, one white hair or one black hair into white or black too. Well, I know you, some of you guys do. <coughs> That's not right. No, I'm saying But none of those things, not even your own head, belongs to you. All of that belongs to God. He says, you have no right to swear by anything else. They were swearing by things that really didn't pertain to them in that sense. Notice that they never really sweared by their donkey. 
or by their house. Because if they didn't come through, they'd go, hey, that donkey's mine, dog. That belongs to me. You swore to me that if you didn't come through with this, that donkey was mine. They didn't do that. They went above and beyond because it's like, okay, if you swear to those things, how can I really get those? I can't. So again, they were, they were making a mockery of all of these things. And in verse 37, Jesus says, but, but let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these things is from the evil one. And this is the crux of the whole matter here. Of what Jesus is talking about. Let your word be your bond. Let your oath or your pledge or your promise be who you are. If you say yes, then you mean yes and you always mean yes. You know, I know we live in a society where we like to JK or whatever, a ha-ha or whatever, you know. It's like, just kidding. But if you're going to say yes, then let that be a yes. If you mean no, it means no. And it always means no. Not maybe. Not sometimes. It means no. There shouldn't be this trying to decipher <laughs> if you really did mean yes when you said yes or did you really mean no when you said yes. There, there shouldn't be that, especially for us husbands, please, be straight up with us, women. <laughs> Just tell us what you say, what you mean. Don't, we, we can't decipher. We don't have decoder rings anymore. <laughs> let your yes be yes and let your no be no. He's saying no need to swear. No need to swear by anything. There's no need to make an oath or a promise that you will come through because as his followers, we would never dream of lying to anybody. We would never dream of doing that. That's why he's saying, let it be yes or let it be no. He would never mess with you like that. He would never. And so we should never mess with people like that. To say yes, but we really mean no. That's why I always use maybe. No, no. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> and it's not talking about being indecisive. He's just saying when you decide that you're going to do something, let it be yes or let it be no. A Christian's character is very important. Again, he's not telling the world this. He's telling you. He's telling me as believers that our character is very, very important. And it's not so much because of our reputation or our name. It's because of the one that we represent and his name. That's why we should yes, yes, or no, no. Because we represent someone who always keeps his word. And when he says no, he means no. When he says yes, he means yes. No, I know he sometimes says wait, but that's besides the point. But he never says, I don't know about that. Or he never says, hey man, I will come through and then just leaves you hanging. And I know sometimes it might feel like that, but he never does. 
If he says he will never forsake you, he will never leave you or forsake you, you could take him as, at his word because he will never abandon you. Never. When he says certain things, hey, don't do these things because it happens this way, he will stick to his word. <clears throat> we represent him who is yes and amen. We represent him. He always means what he says and he says what he means. And God holds his word above his name even. So we should also do the same. For whatever is more than these things or these is from the evil one, he says. What he is saying is that anything other than keeping your word is a lie. It's a lie. Plain and simple. And you're going, but it was only a white lie. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Again, our intentions is not to like give them a big lie, a small lie. And God says it's a lie. He sees the intention. In John 8, 44, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, he says, you are of your father the devil. Get that. You are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand for the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. He is the liar and the father of it. Again, he is just telling us it, it, to, to, to just be simple, practical, and humble. Yes, yes, no, no. Simple as that. That's not hard. Verses 38 to 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Vote for me and I will set you free. Whole 60s song, right? Yeah, some of you guys remember that song. Some of you young kids are going... I don't know who it was. Some of you guys will remember who it was who sang that, but it was a pretty awesome song back then. Anyway. <coughs> an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. <laughs> now, this was not part of the Ten Commandments, if you know the Ten Commandments. But this is what is called the law of retaliation and it came from several old past old testament passages so it wasn't part of the ten commandments but it was part of the law back in those days and in verse or, or going to exodus 21 23 to 25 he says but if any uh but if any harm follows then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. That's pretty awesome in one sense, right? Leviticus 24, 19 and 20. If a man causes disfigurement to his neighbor, as he has done, 
so it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as he has caused disfigurement to a man, so shall it be done to him. Deuteronomy 19.21 Your eye shall not pity. Life shall be for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. It was part of the law. It wasn't part of the, the Ten Commandments, but it had become part of the law. This original law, or this law here, was that, that came from however they came about. It was a fair law. It was fair law because it kept people from forcing the offender to, to pay way more than what the offense was. So you couldn't like, like pluck somebody's eye out and then kill the, guy, the other guy for it. You couldn't do that. It's like if he plucks your eye out or if he punches your eye out, you punch him back in, right in the eye. Take good aim because you can't hit him, hit him in the nose. It has to be in the eye. Again, the, the, you couldn't hit him twice. It was one shot for one shot. And so it, 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 it kind of, this retaliation was good because it didn't go beyond the offense. And that's what he's saying here. This law of retaliation was good because it protected people. It protected the innocent from being so outraged that he went overboard and took things even more personal, took personal revenge to where he's stalking the guy and he's always doing stuff to him. It's like, no, no, now you're wrong. I know you got punched in the face first and that's all you were supposed to do, but you can't keep on punching him in the face. You can't take it out on his family. You can't do it to them or that. It was, it was a good law in that sense. Because normally, if someone does something to you, you really would rather cause them greater harm <laughs> to teach them a lesson. That's within our nature. If somebody hits my eye, I want to hit, I want to hit them twice, three times, more times if possible and get away with it. If someone hurts me or hurts my family, I want to take vengeance. We are vengeful people. If somebody does us wrong, we want to hurt them back. That's normal. What Jesus is telling us here is not normal. He says, You know what the law said. And that would be even normal. Just eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. <laughs> it's kind of funny that we're in this text after coming up here. It's like, hey, if you got a gun, let us know. <laughs> right? It's just kind of, as he's sharing that, I'm going, oh, yeah, it's going to be kind of funny. If somebody comes in shooting, we want to kill him. We're going to go flatten his tires, too, after he's dead. 
We want to find out where he lives. But it's kind of funny because we're kind of in this, in this text right now. We'll just shoot him once. If we don't have to shoot, we won't shoot. Okay, because... Ironic. This is where we're at because he says, but I tell you, don't resist an evil person. And I think the Amplified puts it better. Um, he says, don't, do not resist the evil man who injures you. That is to say, do not or not to set yourself against an evil person who is injuring you. What Jesus is doing here with this law he is replacing this law with an attitude that we should have as Christians. And that is not normal. It goes against being a human being. It goes against our grain here. <laughs> what he is saying is, when somebody comes to you, are you willing to suffer the loss? Are, are, are you willing to suffer and not make that person suffer who has just injured you? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to turn the other cheek? He's replacing this law of eye for an eye with an attitude of, you know what, when they hit you, then when they slap you, just, just give them your other cheek. Are you willing to suffer? Now, I'm sure Jesus would not be asking me, us, to be taken advantage of, right? There's no way he would say, like, for real, turn the other cheek. If they, want, if they want to take your, your shirt, give them your coat also. He could not, would not be asking me to go that extra mile, would he? But the fact of the matter is that he is. He is telling us to do that. Because you see, even in his own life, we see a pattern with him. There was times in his life that he didn't even answer a word. There was those times, yes, that Jesus stood up for himself. There was those times. And there was those times that he, he answered and made his opponents or the opposition look silly. There was those times. But there was also times when he was like a sheep that was led to the slaughter and he didn't say a word. Now understand, he never allowed himself to be manipulated. He never allowed that in his life. Even though he allowed people to take advantage of him, he was in total control of his life. He always was. If you want, turn over to 1 Peter. I want to read some scripture in 1 Peter. That kind of gives us a little idea of what he is trying to, trying to tell us here that sometimes we are going to be taken advantage of. In 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, 
He says, servants, be submissive to your own masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. Because, if, because of conscience towards God, you endure grief, suffer wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your fault, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer and take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins on his own body on the tree, in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. If you go over just a little bit more, chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of the threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks for a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile our good, uh, our, our good conduct in Christ may be ashamed, for it is better if it is for the will of God to suffer for doing good than for evil. And so he kind of sets the standard. He kind of lets us know that if we are going to be his followers, his disciples, that when we are suffering for righteousness sake, understand that, that it is for righteousness sake, not just because I'm a jerk. When we are suffering, when people are wanting to come against me for righteousness sake, do I defend myself? because if you remember there was a time and Jesus had everything under control and this was all planned and this was for the glory of God if you remember there was a time when Peter took out a sword to defend the Lord and Jesus says it's not time for a sword hmm it's not time for a sword right now I mean, he ended up cutting the guy's ear off, probably going for the throat. But, but why was he carrying a concealed weapon? Fits right into the whole thing. <laughs> maybe, maybe he had a sword, and maybe other guys had swords with them. 
for other times when they were traveling and they were going to be assaulted or something. And it wasn't for righteousness sake. They just wanted to jack these guys. They would pull out their sword. Maybe someone just wanted to do them harm just because, and they were going to pull out their sword and like, come on, big boy. We'll do it right now. So it wasn't like you couldn't use your sword. He had a sword with him. But at that moment is when he's going to be crucified the next day. He says, there's no time for a sword. It's not time to put that away. And let them do what they're going to do right now. That's what makes it tough. If somebody comes in here with a gun because they want to kill us because we're, we're Christians, it's like, well, do we just let them slaughter us? Or do I say, hey, bro, you got a gun? Shoot that guy. I'll probably be dead by then, but you know what I'm saying. So there's no more harm done. Again, when do we do these things? We should be able to suffer like this for righteousness sake. When it's, it's for righteousness sake. You see, I've always seen this portion of Scripture like this. And maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm sure the Lord will show me if and when the time ever comes, what to do, how to do it. But I've always kind of seen it like this. If somebody wants just to do me harm just because, maybe they just don't like short little Mexicans that have big mouths. I don't know. They might have a fighter in their hands or I'll just outrun the the other guy. (laughs) But I'm going to defend myself if somebody comes onto my property or into my house. I will defend myself. But if they want to slap me, (laughs) take advantage of me for Jesus' sake or for righteousness' sake, For standing up for righteousness, do I turn the other cheek? Do I go above and beyond? Do I go the extra mile just because I'm a Christian? Or do I demand my rights as an American citizen? Hmm. Do I resist the evil person? Do I resist the person that wants to come at me because I'm a, I'm a Christian? Do I now stoop down to his level and fight fire with fire? Or should I say, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? Kind of difficult, huh, guys? You know, you might be here going, oh, I would never murder. I would never commit adultery. But how many times do you stand up for righteousness' sake? And God's saying, I just want you to turn the other cheek. I want you to go above and beyond and give them what they want, even more so. I want you to go that extra mile. I don't want you to resist them at this point. Here's what Romans 12, 17 to 21 says. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. 
for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then in Matthew 10, 16 to 20, he says, Behold, <laughs> I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you will speak, for it will be given to you that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. You see, when you're put in that situation, and I'm sure we've all failed at times, and God's telling you, just humble yourself. Just, it's okay, for my sake. And you're going, no, I'm not going to let you, I'm not going to let them do that to me right now. And God's going, I'm asking you, just turn the other cheek right now. You see, I believe that if you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, He will show you when, when and how to be Wise as serpents, gentle, or harmless as doves. He will do it for you in that moment. Now, I think I've told you several times as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount that these things will go against every fiber of your being. <laughs> this will go against our nature. All of this. Because he's asking us to do stuff that we don't like sometimes. It's not that you don't understand what I just read to you. I think I've made it clear enough. It's just hard to swallow. When he says, no, I want you to be taken advantage of for my sake, for righteousness sake. I know people often are like, man, I'm being persecuted for God. It's like, no, you're not. You're being persecuted because you're an idiot. <laughs> and you're not being gentle or wise right now. Stop it. You're giving him a bad name. Okay? You got to know the difference, peeps. You got to know the difference. So in verses 40, 43 to the end of the chapter, again, man, it gets worse for us. It really does. No, it gets better. It really does, man. It really does. It says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And you're going, I'm going to underline that one. <laughs> and, and notice it doesn't say you have heard it said to those of old it doesn't say that here nor did it say it in the previous in verse 38 because those were, at, those were part of the law law <laughs> this was more than likely possibly because it wasn't in the original law it, it, it could have been <laughs> added a little later probably in those 400 years where God was silent that the religious leaders decided that uh, that we should put this law in. You love your neighbor and or love your you know your what would it say? Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
It wasn't in the original sin. Nowhere in the law, nowhere, did the law ever say that hatred was acceptable. Nowhere. On the contrary, it says in Exodus 23, verses 4 and 5, if you meet your enemy's oxen or donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden, you would refrain from helping it. You should or you shall surely help him with it. You see, even in the law, even back then, he says, no, you're still going to help people out. You're still going to help your neighbor. Again, maybe, quite possibly, and I, I, I emphasize that, maybe these religious leaders had incited or, or, or put this, this law in there to hate someone, to hate your enemy, as a form of God's judgment, perhaps maybe to justify themselves in their hatred towards others. And they probably thought there's, no, there's nothing wrong with hating the enemies of God. Surely God hates them. And I've shared with you before, God is not at war with the world. The world is at war with God, but he's not. In Leviticus 19, 20, uh, 19, 18, it says, You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so he says in verse 44, But I say to you, <laughs> I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And you're going, ah. <laughs> this is one of those moments that you have to come to the realization that God truly doesn't see life the way we do. <laughs> this is where you truly understand that being a Christian, being a follower, being a disciple of Christ comes with a whole different set of standards, morals, principles, ethics. Our kingdom ethics look something like this. No, they look exactly like this. Love, bless, do good, pray. Yeah, for, for your enemies, for those who curse you, for those who hate you, for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That's, that's, that's our character right there. That's the way it should look like. No, that's what it's supposed to look like. It says that you may be sons of your father. In other words, you are God's son. Resemble him and his characteristics. Hold up his name. You carry his name with you. You are his representative. You are his ambassador. Wherever you go, you represent God Almighty. People judge God because of you and I. That's not fair. Unless we're doing what, what he's told us to do. But, th but you and I represent God wherever we go. And so some people will not walk with God because of the way we conduct ourselves. Isn't that sad? 
He says, for, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. And in reality, we don't deserve any of his goodness, none of his loving kindness, but he gives it to us anyways, and he never holds back his goodness. He never holds back his loving kindness on his children and on the world. It's offered to all. I, I, years ago, I heard Dr. J. Vernon McGee say this, and if you know his style, you, you, could, you could say it in your mind, and it just cracked me up because he said it with probably a straight face. It rains on the just and the unjust, but more on the just because the unjust just stole the just umbrella. <laughs> My beloved... Because if you love only those who love you, what good are you? What, 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 what are you doing different than the world? Because the world does those things. And that's what he's challenging us here. If you say you're a follower, if you say you're a Christian, and hate your brother or hate everybody else, it's like, really? Huh. That's not what the Word of God is saying. And it goes against our nature, peeps. It goes against all our nature. We are to love those, love our enemies, bless those who curse us, do good to those who hate us, and pray for those who spitefully use us and persecute us. God has called us to be different. He has called us to be different with a different set of standards, morals, principles, ethics. And in Him, in him, it is all possible. It really is. And verse 48 is a hard verse. <laughs> because he says, therefore, therefore, because of all that I've just shared with you in these five studies, <laughs> going back, if you missed them, go back and listen to them so you can get bummed out. No, go back. He says, therefore, with all that I've told you from the beginning to right now, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And you're going, good God, come on. This message, the Sermon on the Mount, demonstrates God's righteous standards. For God himself is righteous. Truly God is the standard of righteousness. And he cannot be anything else but righteous. So because of that, <laughs> we are called to be righteous ourselves. So in essence, we must be as God is, and that is perfect. And you're going, whoa, pastor boy, stop that right now. That's a very high standard to achieve. But the word perfect here, does not mean sinless perfection. That would be impossible. But it does mean mature, complete, holy, which means set apart. So, so I need you to be mature as your father is mature. I need you to be complete as your father is complete. I need you to be holy and set apart 
like your Father who is in heaven is holy and set apart. I need you to be growing in this. Murder, lust, hatred, deception, retaliation are obviously not characteristics of who God is. He did, low, he did not lower his standards for us. He did not understand that. Instead, he set forth and he sent forth an absolute holiness as his standard. And that is what and who we follow, Jesus Christ. He is our standard. He is our example. He did those things that were simple, practical, and humble. Oh, he did the spectacular, don't get me wrong. And there's times that God allows us to do those things. But more often than not, he calls you and I to be like him. To speak to the common people as he was talking to. To do the simple, practical, and humble things. Through this standard, we can never be perfect. That can't, we can't perfectly meet that as men. But a person by faith, by faith, who trusts in God can enjoy this righteousness. And, and is in that we can produce or be, be reproduced like him. All because we have repented and we are in the kingdom of heaven. Even though all these things are impossible to do naturally, they can all be done supernaturally through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord God. Even as we've gotten through one chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, Lord God, there's still so much more that you will teach us. I pray that, God, we will humble ourselves before you. Because all these things that we have covered, Lord, goes against our grain. But, Lord, in you, and through you, these things are possible. Jesus, I pray for any who have come through these doors this morning who don't know you, that they might come to know you. That they would surrender their lives to you. And we thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's